1: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Apologies to our regular listeners. This podcast is a re-upload of yesterday's, featuring a slightly corrected piece of Alex's travel diary audio. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcasts. And today we're talking about Singapore GP practice time, some breaking news about teams possibly exceeding budget caps and the sanctions that could apply. And finally, something we've never done before in the second half of the podcast. So we'd love your feedback on that. Who was quick today at the night race in Singapore? How last year's World Championship could be in jeopardy? And what it's like being a travelling Formula One reporter? All that and more coming up today. Let's get up to speed. Now we are trying something a little bit different today. I will run you through some of the practice results first of all. And then you'll hear from our Grand Prix editor, Alex Kalinorkis, recording his week since leaving the UK, taking you on the journey of a Formula One journalist. Now, that job has its highs and lows. In return, for getting to see the cars and drivers up close to write the coverage for the websites and magazines which you and I read. They get to travel the world. I mean, surely it's all first-class flights and expense accounts, right? Well, the reality is, to bring us that coverage, the journalists in the paddock... Uh, the teams like Luke, Alex, Jonathan Noble, Adam Cooper, and more have to live a somewhat nomadic life at times. If there's a double header or a triple header, often not getting home to their family or friends for weeks on end, flying from race to race. So we asked Alex to record his experiences each day and tell us about the life of an F1 journalist. We'll hear from Alex next after I run you through. Today's news, and with many of the front runners enduring disjointed practice sessions ahead of the Singapore Grand Prix, it makes interpreting the lap times tricky. But despite the difficulties for Formula One points leader Max Verstappen, there are reasons for him not to feel too disheartened after Friday, writes Alex Kalinorkis. Well, Carlos Sainz and Ferrari led the way in the only practice session that really matters for the Singapore Grand Prix. While Red Bull was off the pace, lacking laps, but the Marina Bay's track nature negates these issues for Max Verstappen's squad, and the Dutchman is unconcerned. This morning in FP1, it was Mercedes Lewis Hamilton that topped the timesheets with a 1:43.033, the first time Lewis has topped a timed session in Formula 1 this year. Verstappen produced his usual trick of delivering a fastest lap with his very first run of the weekend, and then he would shuffle back to second overall. In FP2, Leclerc's lost track time continued to mount as he stayed in the pits until past the halfway mark of the second one-hour session, with Ferrari working on his floor. Verstappen and teammate Sergio Perez were also non-runners in the early stages, the former having to wait for Red Bull to make major set-up adjustments, while the latter had an engine issue that had to be rectified. Science was the only front runner to have a relatively normal FP2, leading the way on the mediums, then the softs before completing long run efforts to close out the session. The Mercedes drivers did likewise, but lost time to Ferrari at the big stops of turns 13 and turn 14 at either end of the main back straight in the second sector. The overall finishing order in FP2 was Carlos Sainz leading the way in the Ferrari, followed by George Russell's Mercedes. Max Verstappen, then Esteban Ocon, Valtteri Bottas. In sixth was Stroll, followed by Norris, Magnussen, Gasly and Albon. So leading the way in the timesheets and perhaps further encouragement for Ferrari fans heading into the overnight number crunching with one Autosport source suspecting Ferrari's F175 may have been running in a lower engine mode compared to the others if its drag level is not what made the difference in FP2. Mercedes should also be confident they're in the right ballpark, with Red Bull and Ferrari on race pace at least. Just can't match them for single lap pace. Data that Autosport has seen suggests the Mercedes drivers could lap quicker than Sainz after four laps of their respective stints. And as Verstappen told us after the session... All of this may end up being decided by who qualifies first because Red Bull and Ferrari are both expecting overtaking to be a considerable challenge around Singapore's streets which means the pole position premium may return to levels not witnessed since the end of last year and the last races of the ultra-high downforce design era. OK, let's move on. And if you had not heard the news today, Formula One is set for an answer next week on teams' compliance with the cost cap amid mounting paddock intrigue that two teams have breached the rules. Right, Jonathan Noble, Autosport has learned that the FIA has notified teams that its analysis into the accounts for last year's season have now been completed and they're ready to issue the formal documents on the matter. As part of the process to govern the cost cap, teams have been told that on the 5th of October next week, the FIA will issue teams that were under the $145 million cost cap last year with a certificate of compliance. However, any team that has gone over the spending limit will be subject to a further hearing that will hand out the stipulated penalties. The FIA's views on that matter will be final, with the regulation stating and I quote there shall be no right of appeal against any decision by the cost cap administration to issue a compliance certificate to f F1 team Red Bull insists that its Formula 1 cost cap submission last year was within the $145 million limit despite mounting suggestions in the paddock it may have breached the rumors are that one team has breached by an amount less than $5 million and another team by more than that Speaking earlier today, Red Bull's boss Christian Horner expressed confidence that Red Bull had complied with the rules. Asked by Sky Formula One if he was aware of the breaches, Christian Horner said, and I quote, I am certainly not aware of any. The accounts were all submitted way back in March. So it's been a long process with the FIA going through that, and we're in the process as we speak, end quote. Toto Wolff said the FIA president must show integrity and leadership at enforcing the cost cap rules if Formula One teams are shown to have broken it. Sanctions available to the FIA include exclusion from a world championship. And the situation is seen by many in the paddock as a test case for the new head of the FIA. The situation is seen by many in the paddock as a significant test case. For President Mohammed Ben Suleyman, his team as an overspend last year would benefit both 2021 and 2022. Williams team principal Josh Capito said that a Formula One cost cap breach should be deemed a more serious offence than even cheating on track. The FIA would go on to issue a statement saying this, and I quote, the FIA notes significant and unsubstantiated speculation and conjecture in relation to this matter and reiterates that the assessment is ongoing and due process will be followed without consideration to any external discussion, end quote. So we should expect the Formula One team principals giving their opinion and telling the FIA what they would be doing, and the FIA responding by saying, yes, 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 let us get on with it, we'll let you know next week what we have decided and none of this should overshadow this weekend's action which looks like it could be another brilliant race under the lights with perhaps three teams competitive this weekend now let's move on to something we've never done before we thought we'd try it out and i hope you enjoy it alex kalanakis our grand prix editor earlier this week hopped on his plane to go to singapore and we asked him to document what happens in the life of a formula one reporter there's two parts to this, a couple of parts today and on the qualifying, the post-qualifying podcast tomorrow, he'll bring you parts three and four, if you like what happened on Friday and Saturday. We asked him to talk about the things that don't get written about because they write many thousands of words about the teams and drivers. But where do you stay? What do you eat? Who do you hang out with? What's it like waiting For a driver to turn up that never does. All those kind of things. And so so here's the first part of Alex's travel diary.
2: So there's maybe some random ramblings, but I'm gonna talk you through my week leading up to and then obviously including qualifying for the twenty twenty-two Singapore Grand Prix. So I set off from my home in northeast London at 4.30 in the morning to make a a 9am flight from Heathrow, which yes, I'm sure you're thinking sounds like a hell of a long time to be spending in Heathrow Terminal 4, but that's because I've been scarred by my experiences at Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport, where exiting after the Dutch Grand Prix early on in September, there was a three hour queue to get through security. So even though I was hand luggage only, it was actually touch and go whether I'd even make my flight back to London City Airport. So yeah, obviously, as I'm sure many of you will have experienced over the summer, travel at the moment is a little bit mad um, as everybody adapts to getting back to normal or as close to normal as possible after the horrors of the pandemic. So he's got to build in a bit of extra time. But anyway, I was checked in and through security at Heathrow in absolutely no time at all. So I just had uh, plenty of time kicking around. Did some emails, had a nice breakfast and then got on my Qatar Airways flight heading to Doha. That's where I had a stopover. I was fortunate enough to meet a press room colleague so we could uh, catch up uh, after recent events. Uh, and then eventually after our second flight, we arrived in Singapore at 9am local time so my attempts to try and beat the jet lag stay on European time as I mentioned earlier for the night race which for the drivers in particular is actually quite complicated by all the very bright artificial lights around the track it just just messes with their body clocks that little bit more you know you're going to be getting up but sort of early to mid-afternoon not going to bed until 6am so for them it's all about peak performance for everybody else I guess it's similar you know you've got to operate on the same sort of way you've got to try and give your best performance uh, for your job Uh, so yeah it's just about adapting and, and moving forward so Got to my hotel, having charmed my way into an early check-in. I think I was actually quite lucky to uh, to, to be able to, to come in and drop my stuff off. I was able to have a quick nap before I headed to an event at the nearby 313 at Somerset Shopping Mall. Now, this is hosted by Puma at what is apparently its biggest and first ever Southeast Asian flagship store. Uh, and the German clothing company is, of course, a sponsor of the Alfa Romeo team. And it was hosting an event with Joe Guanyu and Valtteri Bottas there today. Uh, I interviewed both, and uh, it, was, it was really interesting, really. Joe came across very Confident and charming after his uh, after his contract extension news, he's he's usually very articulate. And gives you quite comprehensive answers, which is really which is really nice to hear because he's a rookie driver. He says what it feels. He says you know what he's thinking, and I think he's made quite a good impression on many people in the paddock as a result of that. Uh, I was intrigued to hear today that he feels very lucky to have started his F1 career at Alpha, given its history, of course, as Sauber uh, of developing uh, young drivers very well. Of course, recently, you think Charles Leclerc going back in its history, Kimi Räikkönen. Um, nipped upstairs uh, to interview Valtteri Bottas, who was particularly taken by a pair of fluffy slippers that were on display. Not quite sure why Puma, how many of, how many of those Puma ships, but anyway. Uh, and he explained how he and Joe are working very closely together. Now, Bottas, of course, famously a non-political driver, doesn't rock the boat. So I think in that respect, it's very ideal for Alpha to have a, a rookie driver to learn from the veteran. A bit weird to think of Valtteri Bottas as a veteran driver, but he has been in, in the championship for nearly a decade now. And it does also sound like Joey's asking him ask plenty of questions and the right questions too because the team is uh, is very impressed by his his attitude. After that, I spent a good hour walking around the Fort Canning Park, which is on, on my route back from the shopping centre to my hotel uh, and all the tropical gardens that line what is a very big hill in the centre of Singapore. Uh, I learned about what for, a, for quite a while in history was sort of long lost history of Singapore as an ancient kingdom and then becoming a powerful trading post in the Middle Ages before its modern founding under British colonial rule. Uh, during that time, of course, fort canning itself was constructed on top of the hill uh, that's in the center of the city and in fact has an underground bunker from which the decision to surrender Singapore to the Japanese in World War 2 was taken that was one of Britain's biggest ever military catastrophes Uh, it's now a museum exhibit that was closed today so I sort of walked around the outside of it took lots of uh, lots of silly pictures for my Instagram story but there we go Uh, then I headed back to my hotel to write up my Joe story and now I'm about to head out for lunch in inverted commas you won't see as listeners at 8.30pm to meet a couple of press room colleagues and then I'm having dinner at nearly 1am with my support.com F1 editor Jonathan Noble I'll be honest with you I don't even know what time Time or day it is so the plan for today wednesday the first day after arrival is to save until about 6 a.m and then power through to the rest of the weekend i'll let you know how that, that goes starting in the thursday entry that you're about to hear in a few seconds i'll be recording tomorrow night tomorrow dawn whenever this slightly mad events press day concludes and i've been for a track run which i try and do at every event so yes i hope you hope you're enjoying so far this uh, this travel diary i'm doing at the singapore grand prix and here's the next entry
0: all right hang on we'll take a quick break and back in a second with part two Alright, back to the podcast and back to our Grand Prix editor Alex Kalanakis' Travel Diary Part 2. What happened next?
2: Well, welcome back to my Singapore Grand Prix Travel Diary. What was just a few seconds for you, the listener, was well over 24 hours for me. Please report, I had a very good night's sleep after that long journey into Singapore and the all day exploring yesterday. Was a bit odd waking up at 2pm uh, 2 2 in the afternoon and it genuinely feeling like 7am as it was in the UK. It was a bit, uh, bit of a strange one, but anyway, um, yeah, had a lovely dinner last night, met some colleagues uh, at a, what, what turned out to be a very fancy uh, Riverside restaurant, and for any uh, autosport editors or managers listening, you'll be pleased to know that I uh, did not break the bank and restricted myself to uh, one small portion of uh, pork jowl, didn't go the whole hog as it were, considering it was lunchtime. Then ended up having a very nice curry at a sort of 24-hour, um, it almost looked like a shop sort of shop front that there is quite common in this part of the world um, yeah had a very nice dinner with Jonathan Noble wandering back the streets were absolutely empty it really reminded me of lockdown in the UK if you ever sort of went for a walk or went running late at night and just saw nobody out there really rammed home how it is just the people working at the Formula One event and in the Formula One event who are staying on a completely different time zone or just working later because it's a night race. The rest of the city just goes about as if it's business as usual and then enjoys the Formula One action when it's on as opposed to adapting around it. But anyway, yeah, I uh, I do need to adapt a little bit more when it comes to this event because I haven't been lulled into a slight false sense of security by the, the cooler temperature as I walked home from dinner last night. I foolishly walked into the paddock uh, in black jeans this morning, a mistake I won't be making Making it again, I went in in a t-shirt with a shirt to change into because I knew how sweaty I was going to get. For some reason, didn't think to do it on the bottom half of me, but I'll rectify that mistake tomorrow. Came in via one of the massive shopping malls that uh, that characterise this city. Uh, it's interesting they've got a, uh, a fountain of wealth, which is uh, quite interesting considering this place is sort of a, a banking powerhouse uh, rather than a fountain of youth or anything like that. Not that exists, of course. But anyway, uh, yeah, it was the main reason I was going through there because it was the sort of most direct route to the to the uh, to the racetrack and to the paddock. But also. Uh, but the closer I got to the track, the more it did remind me a bit like the Miami event from earlier on this season. I was reminded a bit of a Formula E event. There's lots of bridges you have to climb, infrastructure going in very late that I'll come on to later on. But anyway, as I got to the paddock entrance at last, bathed in sweat, I did observe, uh, once again, Joe Guan Yu. Uh, Uh, for the second time this week and uh, there'll be a bit more of him I'll get onto that in a second but as he came in he energised the fans who are waiting at the paddock entrance by signing a few autographs posing for a few selfies as I walked walked around all that into the paddock into the media centre to get up uh, to get set up for the weekend, and um, I've got a very lovely view overlooking uh, the pit lane. You can't quite see it, it's sort of down below you, but uh, the, the the main uh, sorry the, the you know the start finish straight. You can see that. What is a bit bizarre is that there's a pillar directly in front of my desk that is mirrored. So I've got a, a fantastic view of my own face. Not- Back to Joe Guan Yu because uh, to follow up with the Puma session that I went to yesterday, I decided to go along to his media session today. Now the media sessions have been a bit different to how they were how they were in the sort of pre COVID era. What the what the teams and the drivers have agreed. To now, because it sort of wasn't working with everyone having to do the FAA press conference on Zoom as it was last year with everything opening up back again essentially half the drivers appear in the official FIA press conference and then go and talk to the TV cameras the other half of the drivers do their TV interviews and then they have to provide a, uh, a written a session for the written media to attend so for Alfa Romeo, that was in its uh, hospitality unit here in Singapore went down there spoke to Joe again he explained how Alfa has been getting him to do sim session after sim session after sim session to help with his progress and that included before he made his debut on Christmas Eve last year a session where he was uh, where he was getting up to speed also helping Alfa upgrade its simulator that's something that it's been been uh, been focusing on in recent times Uh, after that I had wanted to hop for over to the Aston Martin garage to speak to Sebastian Vettel but unfortunately the two sessions did overlap so I meant I was forced to focus on Joe hopefully I'll get Vettel in Austin which is my next at track uh at the same time uh yeah that is the, the the prerogative of the teams unfortunately they do set up these sessions uh, and unfortunately they do clash um we've just got to adapt to work around it our teams at autosport and motorsport.com are very uh, very good at doing that and um, there was one slight frustration with uh, with an f1 team which was ferrari today in that they had scheduled a uh, a written media session for charles Leclerc to take place at te- 8 10 p.m just outside the, uh, the the sort of the, the, the mix zone area where the TV cameras are. There's a dedicated bit for the written media to stand in as well. Uh, unfortunately, Charles never turned up. So a quick inquiry to Ferrari uh, about what was going on. It was explained that after he'd done his TV interviews, He'd gone to go to the written media uh, session, but nobody was there. So, of course, as his, his prerogative, as his team's prerogative, they're not going to waste any time hanging around. They went straight back to their motorhome. Unfortunately, the reason why there was no one there was because it was well before uh, 10 past eight. But anyway, these things do happen. And Ferrari very kindly uh, provided us with some material to, so that we could hear from what Charles Leclerc had to say. Today. Just before that, between the Joe session uh, and between the uh, the sort of the little Claire session that never was, I spent an hour in that FIA press conference. Alex Albon returning for Williams after his appendicitis and then really quite frightening, upsetting uh, episode uh, of respiratory failure and his recovery was understandably the focus of part one that he was in. Um, he explained what happened. It did sound very, very scary to everybody on the outside, but for him, he was pretty much unconscious for the really terrifying bit. It just meant that. When he came round, which was actually, he said, sooner than the doctors were expecting in terms of how his lungs cleared up from the anaesthetic and everything, they explained what had gone on and, and how serious it was. But we're very, very um, pleased to uh, to have Alex Albon back. He does look fit and well. He is sort of uh, I think they are erring on the side of caution. They're going to see how FP2 goes tomorrow. Or actually, considering, uh, once again, I've forgotten how time works. Uh, they they would have been considering um, FP2 as the sort of the, the focus because of the long runs. Then and making a decision on whether he will drive in the race. Lewis Hamilton, because he is seven time world champion, was a massive focus for the first part of the FIA press conference too. But uh, but after that session ended, the room rather cleared out for part two, which was Valtteri Bottas, Sergio Perez, Lance Stroll. Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz, uh, which meant I could take full advantage and ask them many questions if nobody else wanted to uh, attend that session. Got uh, got some good insight from Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez on the, the sort of tight pit lane problem that's plagued F1 of late, particularly you think back to Zanvor and the, the Ferrari wheel gun being put into Perez's path. Sainz getting a, an unsafe release penalty when he said he was trying to avoid uh, hitting a, a mechanic. So they've suggested, particularly Sainz, in the future going to have to make the pit lanes wider and longer to avoid that. I spent the rest of the of the evening, day, afternoon, whatever it is, like I said, don't know how time works anymore because this event has broken me, writing new stories for autosport.com and generally planning the rest of the weekend. Once all that was done, I did what I usually do or really, really try to do uh, every Thursday, every race I attend, which is run the track. It's something that, A, helps with the brain, helps with the fitness, of course, but also I find you really do learn little things. Um, and here running this one, um, yes, the, obviously the, the the main takeaway was just how hot and sweaty I got. I won't go into details with that, but it was deeply unpleasant heading down the pit straight is very interesting to notice how the resurfaced pit lane really is a different colour and then as I came into the sort of tight twisty stuff in the the first couple of turns there is a very um, bad or certainly there was on Thursday night a bad sewage smell around there so I hope anybody watching uh, isn't affected by that and the track is sort of deceptively uphill out of turn 3 I noticed and particularly later on into turn 14 the right hander at the the end of the, the, the long back straight just little things that you don't necessarily see from the TV cameras and as I've said earlier in this diary my first time in Singapore so it's interesting to learn that did spot a couple of uh, VIPs there was George Russell running the track with his crew although interestingly doing it Backwards, not that he was running backwards; he was merely running the track in reverse. Shakes it up, I guess. And I also spied Daniel Ricciardo. I didn't really spy him; I ran past him and sort of gave him a good side eye, which I'm not. I think he may well have spotted. Uh, uh, was Daniel Ricciardo chatting to Mark Webber on the at uh, the apex of Turn Three? Of course, fellow Australian drivers. But uh, in the in the headlines of late, because of Mark Webber's uh, young charge, Oscar Piastri. Mark Weber is his manager. Has got Daniel Ricciardo's seat at McLaren. I don't think there were any hard feelings there, and it certainly was a very friendly looking chat. Ricardo's engineer is also with him as well as they go about learning the track. After that, head up back to the media centre, which was uh, very empty. Most of my colleagues having uh, departed already. There was a little bit of a little bit of a, a bartering with the police because I had to get back in. They said it was closed uh, and they needed to do a bomb check, and I was like, well. It's going to be a bit strange if uh, all my equipment's still up there when you're having to uh, having to get that. But they were very accommodating. I nipped in only a couple of minutes to grab my stuff and get out, I headed back to my hotel, which was notable as I said. The there is a lot of event logistics going up, still very very late. For example, gate two, one of the one of the one of the ways in, very close to the paddock. The reason why I'd been told to go to that way to get into the paddock uh, this morning, and I sort of sort of fluked it. Didn't see it, didn't notice it. That's because gate two hadn't been set up when I first came in. But I'm pleased to report that as of Thursday evening, it is it is definitely there. Uh, the street's really quite quiet. It was already half past 12. Um, Reminding me of last night, few cars and taxis still on the road but I'm sure by the time I head out for dinner, which is my next difficult task because I'll be locating somewhere to eat that's still open at 1.30 in the morning, I'm expecting it to be a lot quieter.
0: Well, thanks, Alex. We're looking forward to parts three and four, what happened on Friday when you were watching practice and what happened on Saturday uh, when you are watching qualifying, which has yet to happen as of recording this podcast. We're looking forward to that. If What do you think about uh, trying stuff like this out on the podcast? We'd love to hear from you. You can email podcast at autosport.com with comments, thoughts, suggestions. Always like looking... Uh, Looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, If we try something new, different formats, different content, uh, let us know if it works for you or not. We can do more or less of that in the future. Thanks for listening, Alex. We'll be back with our post quality show tomorrow. And I'll see you Sunday for the Grand Prix Review Show. So, tell me about last night.
1: Well, it wasn't what I expected. It had the perfect amount of spice. Sounds hot.
0: It had all the flavor, and I wanted more. The ghost pepper wings from Popeye's are just so delicious. Wait, I thought you were talking about your date. Sometimes, things aren't always as they seem, like Popeye's ghost pepper wings that have the perfect level of kick and flavor. Try them for only $5 today. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. Price may vary. Tax extra. Love
2: that chicken from Popeye's.